Well, hey everyone, Pastor Stephen here, and I want to thank you for checking out this message from Journey Church. I hope that it encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus than ever before. If you are joining us today online or through the live stream, we are so excited that you are with us. However, we are not meant to do life alone, so don't let online media be a substitute for an actual community of faith and fellowship. God created us to do life with one another so that we can grow together on life's journey. We hope that you enjoy this message from God's Word. They are the heroes of the Bible, immortalized and sanctified, leading a nation out of slavery, never turning away from God, called to preserve all of humanity, the first to spread the gospel, the founders of the church, the leaders of a great nation, a great king, a great queen. Their descendants became God's chosen people. What were their qualifications? A speech impediment, bankruptcy, addiction, old age, a victim of abuse, a denier of faith, orphaned, widowed, overrun with bitterness, a prostitute, an adulterer, a murderer, a liar, and a schemer. They were all unqualified in the eyes of the world, but throughout the Bible, God used broken people to do big things. He does the same today. Good morning, church. How's everyone doing today? Good. All right. Well, hey, I'm Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here at Journey. Uh, but before we dig into today's study this morning, I, I want to start just by asking you a question. Have you ever faced or are you currently facing a problem in your life that seems just absolutely impossible? Is there something going on that just seems downright impossible? Or have you ever encountered an issue that you are completely unqualified to tackle? These situations can make us feel like we're in a rut, right? Make us feel like we're stuck. We're not going anywhere. We're just spinning our tires in life. You know, maybe for you, it's a, it's a health diagnosis that's not in your favor. Or maybe you think your marriage is just too far gone and you have no idea how to bring it back around. I've been talking to a lot of people lately and it seems like the, the other end of the spectrum is also true that you're single and you're never going to be able to meet someone in the eyes of the Lord the way that he wants you to. And it just seems like it's going to be that way forever. But I know for me and, and probably for a lot of us, it's just the year 2020, isn't it? That's the rut that we're stuck in. Right? It's just bad news after bad news this year. And I'm sure that every one of us has something in our lives that we think is never going to change for the better. And asking God, how can you use this to bring good and glory for you? But as you just think about that question, you chew on it today. Let me catch you up to speed on what's been going around here at Journey. Uh, we've been in this series of messages called Unqualified, where we've been looking at how God uses unqualified and broken people to do big things for his glory and for our good when we put our faith in him. And so far, we have learned by digging into Hebrews 11 that faith is the, a reality that God is who he says he is and that he has proved it by keeping all of his promises. That's past, present, and future promises. 
So what that means is that we can trust him with our lives no matter what happens. This kind of faith is based solely upon the person of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. And also we've learned that this faith has something else to it. That this kind of faith always leads to action because true faith will lead to action. Right? James chapter 2 tells us that. It says there that faith without works is dead. So if your faith is not leading to action, then it, it can't be true faith. It's, it's dead by itself. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it is when it doesn't have that attached. And so now what we've been doing to see this kind of faith in action is we've been looking at Hebrews 11. We've been seeing these different men and these different women who are listed here who had great faith in God and his promises. And because of that, they took a step in faith and put that faith into action. And today, we're going to be looking at a guy by the name of Moses who thought that his problems were just so huge that they completely unqualified him to ever be used by God. He thought that he had to be perfect in order to be used by the God of the universe. And that's why today's message is titled, Moses Was Unqualified. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you so much for this man of history, Moses that we can look at his life, that we can uh, see how he went from unqualified to qualified by putting his faith into you. Lord, we're thankful for everything that you did through him. And as we dig through his life this morning, Lord, I pray that we would learn something that we can apply to our lives. Lord, you did so much through Moses, and we know that you're still working through people today. So please show us what that looks like. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to be starting in verse 23. So uh, if you have your Bibles, go there. The words will be on the screen, or you can also follow along on a phone or tablet, uh, whatever's best for you there. All right, Hebrews 11, starting in verse 23. It says this, by faith, Moses. Okay, pretty simple. By faith, Moses after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months. Because they saw that the child was beautiful, they did not fear the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, man, we're going to see that a lot through here. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, since he was looking ahead to the reward. And by faith he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger. For Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. And we'll jump to verse 29 now. By faith they crossed the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. And when the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to be breaking that entire section apart that we just read. Uh, But as we can see in that section that Moses did some pretty difficult things, right? He kind of had his plate full in that section. He faced a lot of problems, but the best thing was is that he had faith that God would go with him in those problems. He knew that God was going to be right by his side, Right? He was going to face all of these things with God, even though he felt 100% unqualified to do these things. 
Now, let me tell you just a little bit about Moses' history as we start digging into this portion here. Moses uh, was an Israelite boy who was born in ancient Egypt. And at that time, the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians, but the Egyptians started to get pretty nervous because the Israelites were starting to grow in numbers and they were becoming a little more powerful. And because of this, Pharaoh orders the Israelites to take any newborn male child that is born and kill them by throwing them into the Nile River. Pharaoh is thinking that, hey, if I cut down on the people, cut down on the population, maybe this generation, he's thinking that he might be able to stop a slave revolt from happening because they're becoming overpowered and outnumbered. However, Moses, he's born, and his mom, she can't bear the thought of her newborn baby being killed. So what she does, she does the, the only thing that's available to her. She makes this basket. She puts him in this basket and she floats him down the river, which we actually see in Hebrews 11 was uh, an act of faith on the parents' part, right? They trusted that God could do something with Moses, even if she wasn't going to be there to witness it, right? That's that true faith, that, that faith in the things that are not yet seen. That's her trusting in the Lord there. And as baby Moses is heading down the river, and Pharaoh's daughter eventually sees this basket. She gets Moses out of there, and then she eventually adopts him. And so now Moses is adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, which makes him a prince in Egypt. And he's a prince there in his life for 40 years. So let's stop right there just for a minute and talk about Moses and what he went through right here. It seems like right from the beginning of his life, he's on the run. Right, he's on the run. Right from the beginning of his life, he is running, or I guess in this case, he's floating away from his death just because he's an Israelite kid. And then he's brought into Pharaoh's palace to live this luxurious life as the prince of Egypt. But Moses wasn't an Egyptian. He was a Hebrew. So what does that do? It, actually, it makes Moses a fraud. Moses is a fraud. He's not a prince in Egypt. He's a Hebrew man. Last week, we had talked about Jacob and how Jacob had some huge identity issues in his life. And what we're going to see today is that Moses is going to have some of those same features, right? He's a Hebrew living as an Egyptian prince. He, he gets to live in the palace now. He gets to eat the best food. He gets to sleep in the best bed. But on the flip side, he is not working hard just like his Israelite brothers. He's not out there being a slave doing this back-breaking labor, I was thinking the other day about this too, but Moses, he, he escaped death, right? He gets to live while the other Israelite boys, his age, they, they had to die. I'm sure the Israelites weren't too excited about that, right? Why did, why did Moses get to live, but my baby now has to sit at the bottom of the river? No, that's not fair. Why, why is my kid gone, but Moses is standing before us dressed to the nines, Every time they saw Moses coming around, maybe in a chariot or standing before them at the palace, I'm sure it reminded them that their baby boys weren't around anymore. That's got to be hard. Now, the Israelites, and we're going to see this as we dig through Moses' life, they really didn't care for Moses because he was a fraud. He didn't stand with his own people. But how many of us can relate to this in our lives? Right? Being a, a fraud or an imposter a phony or a fake, or like last week we talked about what mask are you wearing to try and prove to somebody that this is who you are, even though that's a fake version of you. 
right? Maybe you're, you're too scared of what people might think of the real you, so you hide behind this mask. Maybe you're thinking, well, it's, it's only a matter of time before everyone around me discovers who I really am, and then they'll leave me or they'll hate me, and I'm going to be left alone, and nobody's going to be around me. And sadly for Moses, it keeps getting worse. Let's flip to Exodus 2, chapter, yeah, chapter 2, verse 11, and we're going to start digging through his life just a little bit more here. It says this, years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people and observed their forced labor. And it's important to remember that. It says right there that he went out to his own people, right? He was truly a Hebrew man. He knew it. He wasn't an Egyptian. But this is also interesting there. It says that he observed their forced labor. And that little phrase there holds so much inside of it that he observed. Other translations may say that he looked at their burdens or he gazed upon their burdens. What it means is that he's seeing with emotion, right? And in some instances in scripture, it's with um, satisfaction, right? You're looking upon something and and it's satisfying, but, but here clearly it's the other way. He's looking at it in distress for his people. You know, Moses identified with his own people and he felt for them. That's actually what we saw in Hebrews eleven twenty four, where it said, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Because he was a Hebrew. He knew it in his heart that he was a Hebrew man. Right? He wanted to be a Hebrew. But I'm sure it's kind of hard to leave the title of Prince of Egypt, isn't it? Right? It's, it's an easier life, right? I don't want to forsake luxury for going out to the field for labor and slavery. But the story goes on, and one day Moses, he, he sees an Egyptian beating an Israelite slave, possibly to death is what some of the context makes it, makes it sound like, and Moses, his fuse just goes off, right? He's probably seen this for a long time. Hebrews getting beaten and, and forced into their labor, but finally his fuse just pops, and he looks left, and he looks right to make sure that no one's watching him, and he hustles down there, and he kills this Egyptian, and he buries him in the sand. So now, Moses is not only a fraud in the palace of Egypt, but Moses is also a murderer. Moses killed this guy, right? But he thinks he's doing the right thing. He said, man, I don't want to see this guy getting beaten. So he runs down there. He wants to do the right thing, help this Hebrew man. But then it comes back to him, and it blows up in his face. You ever ever been there? You tried to do something that you thought was right, but you didn't know how to do it, so you just put your head down and went full force ahead anyways. Right? You tried to do the right thing in the wrong way, and then it backfired on you. But of course, and this is going to sound like an infomercial now, but wait, there's more. It gets even worse for Moses. Right? He later, he sees these two Hebrew guys fighting, these, these own people, and he asks them about it. He says, hey, why, why are you guys fighting each other? Your battle's not against each other. It's against the Egyptians. And one dude, he just pipes off, and he says, who made you a commander, a judge over us? Are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Ooh, busted. He looked left and right and thought nobody saw what he was going to do. He knew he was doing it out of the flesh, doing it out of his own desires. And then Moses became afraid and thought, what I did is certainly known. So now Moses, he is, he's freaked out and he's afraid because of his secret sin, right? It came into light. It feels scary when that stuff happens, doesn't it? 
Right? You think you got away with murder and then it comes back around on you. Even if we don't get caught in this life for sin, however, we still one day have to stand before the God of the universe and he's not fooled. The stuff that we call secret, he knows it. It's not secret to God. He knows everything about this. And so everyone knows, right? Moses is busted. But what that means is that Pharaoh also knows his grandpa in this sense. And now he wants Moses dead, right? He can't have his grandson going around killing Egyptians. And again, it says right there that Moses, he became afraid. So instead of standing up with the Hebrews whom, yeah, I want to identify with you guys. You're my people. And taking a stand for them saying, no, it's wrong to beat the Hebrews to death. It's wrong that they're in slavery. What does he do? He runs away. He gets scared and he flees. He goes to a little town called Midian, which is in the middle of nowhere. And he meets a priest there who has seven daughters. We got to pray for that guy too. Seven daughters. Moses gets married to one of these daughters. And he starts working for his new new father-in-law as a shepherd. A job which is usually reserved for the young men. And this part of his life takes up another 40 years. Takes up another 40 years of his life. That means for 40 years, he's been running away and hiding. And what that really shows us about Moses is that he was also a coward. Moses was a coward. So now, not only do the Israelites not want Moses because he's a fraud... And the Egyptians don't want him around because he's a murderer. He now has to he live out with his thoughts and his ideas in this desert land with these sheep that he's also a coward for running away and not standing with his people. But honestly, this is a good thing because this is where Moses becomes extremely humbled. Right? Going from the palace to the plains or from the fortress to the fields. That's got to be a humbling experience. What that shows us is that no matter what you're going through, that God can use it to show you something and or in this case, use it to prepare you for something. Right? Moses is about to realize this because learning to live in the desert and to be a shepherd is exactly what he needs to know for the next portion of his life. So what's gonna happen is God's gonna come to Moses and speak to him in easily one of the top 10 coolest things in the scriptures. God's gonna talk to Moses through the form of a burning bush. That's awesome. And God's not going down to talk to Moses who's all perfect and Moses who has his life together. No, he's going to talk to the fraud, the murderer, the coward, the 80-year-old shepherd Moses. And if anything, that should make us feel excited and relieved. Because if he wants to talk to Moses in that state, you can bet today that God wants to speak to us as well. Right? You can bet your life that God wants to know you and he wants you to know him and his word. He gave us this so that we could know him. and Therefore, we can know the plans that he has for our lives. And so one day Moses is out. He's attending the sheep, and he sees this burning bush that's on fire. It's not being engulfed by flames, but it it just keeps burning. It's kind of weird. And Moses sees it, and then he thinks to himself, says, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? Translation, Moses is a guy, right? He sees something on fire. He's like, oh, fire, and he starts walking (laughs) towards it to see it. 
It's a regular guy. As Moses gets closer to this bush, it starts speaking to him, calling him by name. It's Moses, Moses. Probably looking at maybe is the wind hit just right, something like Moses, or maybe my sheep are starting to talk to me. Maybe it was some of those field mushrooms I ate earlier. I, I don't know what this was. But the bush speaks, and then Moses finally says, Yeah, here, here I am. And God then identifies himself to Moses by saying, Exodus 3 6, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then God hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Why did Moses hide his face? Because he was afraid to look at God. Moses knew about his sin. He knew about being a fraud and a murderer and a coward. And he thought for sure that God was coming to punish him for everything that he had done wrong. Now, it's probably like the first time some of us walked into a church building, right? You thought, oh, the ceiling's going to collapse on me if I walk into that place. Right? We just assume that if God is real, then he's got to be very, very angry with me. However, God doesn't punish Moses here. Right? He doesn't shame Moses here for what he did. God just tells him that, hey, I've heard the Israelites crying out to me. And I want to save them. In verse 10, God tells him, I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh, so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Right? God wants to save them by using Moses. And Moses' mind must have just been blown at this moment. Why would you want to use me? You know, God wasn't there to put Moses in this cosmic timeout. He wasn't there to ground him for eternity. But God was saying, Moses, guess what? I have chosen you to lead these people out of slavery and into freedom. Really, God? You want to use Moses? Moses, the, the most unqualified person that I know that I could think of to lead a nation out of Egypt and into freedom. Right? Moses, the kid that you hoped wouldn't be picked on your team for recess or maybe chosen for your lap partner or, or the guy that you wouldn't follow out into the coffee area, let alone out of Egypt with uh, the Egyptians chasing you. But through our eyes, through human eyes, Right? God should have picked someone else because Moses was unqualified. And someone way more qualified than Moses should have been chosen. However, and you guys are going to get real sick of hearing me say this through the week. I'm going to beat this drum. It's going to be like that song that's stuck in your head that you just can't get out. Right? It says the song that never... It's going to be like that. <laughs> I don't want this to escape your mind. God is in the business of using messy, broken, and unqualified people to do big things for his glory and for our good when we put our faith in him. Take a picture of that, put it on your mirror, put it on your phone. I don't care where you put it. Please remember that because God doesn't want you to stay messy, broken, and unqualified. In fact, he wants to qualify you. And he does exactly that when we put our faith in him, when we trust in him. And God is now about to prove that to Moses. So what happens next is that God tells Moses about the plan to get the people out of Egypt. And this plan is epic. It is amazing. And Moses responds just like the coward that he is. He makes up a bunch of excuses of why God picked the wrong guy. And his first excuse is found in Hebrews, or I'm sorry, Exodus 3, 11. 
But Moses asked God, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Does that sound familiar to anyone today? Right? Asking God, God, who am I? I'm, I'm a nobody. Right? I'm not enough. I'm incapable. I'm unqualified. I'm too weak to lead my family or to work this job or to take this class or to preach to this congregation. You name it. God, you picked the wrong guy. God, you made a mistake. Now, God, you need to find someone else. But how does God respond here? He answered, I will certainly be with you. God didn't even answer Moses' question of who I am. Right? He didn't give him some big pep talk or some big speech. And, oh, Moses, you got this, buddy. You can do it. Yeah, yeah, you can do it. No. God just says, I will certainly be with you. Right? God's reply here is intended to take Moses' focus off of himself, off of him trying to rely on his own abilities to deliver the people out of Egypt, and put his focus on where it should have been in the first place, on God. Why? Because it doesn't matter who Moses is. It matters who God is. It doesn't matter who Moses is. It really matters who God is. And that truth is still the same today and forever. It doesn't matter who we are, where we've been, what we've done. What matters is that God is who he says he is and that he can do it. And where he can go, that's what's important, is what he can do. And Moses, he just keeps coming up with more excuses now. He goes now from, who am I, to, who are you, God? Which is a good question. He's, he's not exactly sure. Right? And then Moses asks God, well, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, well, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what's his name? What should I tell them? And God's response here is epic. I don't know, Chris, can I use money from your budget so I can drop this mic? Because it is an epic statement that he's going to make. You don't care? Okay, well, I'm too nervous to do it. Cut a band member? Okay. Chris, you're out of the band. But God's response is so epic that it does require a mic drop. He just says, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. Like God reveals his name as I am which in Hebrew is where we get that word Yahweh. And a lot of you have heard that. That's, that's the name of God in Hebrew. But his name is just so much more than I am. And it means so much more than just the three letters that we see up on the screen, right? It conveys a sense of God's eternal power and his unchanging character, right? The Israelites would not just ask for his name, but what they're asking is what are you doing with us, God? Why should we follow you? What is your character, who are you that we should follow you? And God's answer is just simply, I am. Right? And in this instance, what he's saying is that I am the God who is there for you. Right? Just like he told Moses, I am certainly with you. In fact, Jesus calls himself by the same name in the New Testament. I am is recorded seven times in the Gospel of John, showing himself to be God with us, God in the flesh, or Emmanuel. As a lot of us have heard. You know, one of the statements that Jesus makes in the New Testament, and I, I got to preach on this one. This was a lot of fun. But he says, I am the bread of life. What does that mean? What is he saying there? 
What he's saying is, he's like, hey, are, are you hungry today? Is there something gnawing at your soul? Are you dissatisfied? Are you empty? Are you sick of trying to fill life with things that aren't working? Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Or are you in the dark today? Do you feel like you don't know which way to turn left, right, where, where you're going? Jesus says, I am the light. Or are you feeling vulnerable, unsure, fearful like Moses is here? Jesus says that I am the door, or Aaron talked about this, I am the gate is another way to look at that. He said, I will protect you and keep anything out that would harm you. Or do you feel cut off and isolated? And Jesus would say, I am the vine. Abide in me, cling to me, find security in me. Whatever you need, Jesus will be. Right? He says there, God says, I am. Okay, well, well, what are you? I am what? He's saying, I am everything that you need. I am everything you need. But the problem is that all too often we are looking for something from Jesus, right? We, we try to treat Jesus like a lottery ticket or an ATM machine or a vending machine just trying to give us what we want instead of just simply clinging to him and his word moment by moment in our lives. And we are shown once again that it's all about God. It's all about him and what he can do, not us. And that we can depend solely upon him because he is the source of our life. And so God, he, he gives Moses this just epic, non-forgettable speech, something that would put like Braveheart and a gladiator speeches to shame. Right? He's telling him, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do for the people. I am the source for everything you're ever going to need, Moses. And Moses is like, God, hey, man, that, that's pretty neat. Good for you. But, and he comes up with more excuses, starting in Exodus 4. He says, what if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say, the Lord didn't appear to you? Now, if, if I were God, and it's a really good thing that I'm not God, I would have told Moses to go put his nose in the corner for not listening. And then when he's done, he can come out of the corner. Tardy you whining, Moses. But God doesn't do that to him. He doesn't do that. Instead, he gives Moses a set of miraculous signs that he can perform to prove that God did send him. Crazy cool things like he's going to take his staff, throw it on the ground. It's going to turn into a snake and eat all these other staffs that are around. Then he'll pick it up and it's a staff again. Another one is he can take his hand, which is, which is clean, he'll put it into his cloak, pull it out, and it's covered in this white stuff known as leprosy. And he puts it back in, and boom, he's healed. Just amazing, cool things like that. And Moses is like, hey, cool trick, God. You can show me that someday. That's, that's neat. I'm, I'm happy you can do all of that. But Moses replied to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been elegant either in the past or, or recently or since you have been speaking to your servant because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. Moses says, I, I don't give cool speeches like you do, God. I, I can't talk through a burning bush. I can't deliver people like you can. You know, I'm just, what I'm going to do is I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm going to embarrass the Israelite people and, and I'm going to embarrass you too, God. You can't use that. And what happens next is God just basically tells him, hey, Moses, who made your mouth? Yeah, I've got this. I know what I'm working with here, Moses. I made your mouth, right? I know the speeches you give. I'm sitting here listening to you complain to me and whine to me. I know what I'm working with here. 
But God's telling him, Moses, I will do everything. All you have to do is take a step towards Egypt, and then we can get started. And Moses has given God all of these different reasons of why he's unqualified. And this is where Moses just finally gives his last plea. Exodus 4.13 says, please, Lord, just send someone else. I don't want to do this. This is too hard. And this is where God, he's, he's no longer patient with Moses' whining. Because in the next set of verses, it says that the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Yikes. I, I don't want to be on the receiving end of that one. But honestly, this is what it took for Moses to stop complaining, to stop whining, to stop feeling sorry for himself, and just take a step towards Egypt. Right? Moses, the, the fraud, the murderer, the coward who ran away from Egypt, the guy with a speech impediment, the most unqualified man that God could use is now off to set an entire nation of Israelites free from slavery. But something's different at this point. Something changes. Because once Moses takes that step towards Egypt, he is now heading there in faith. And what we read in the New Testament is that you would now be walking by faith and not by sight. Right? He believes that God will certainly be with him. And he believes that God will certainly keep his promises. And that God will certainly set his people free from the Egyptians through him. And that all Moses had to do, he just got to show up. He just has to be there and be willing to be used. And guess what? Spoiler alert. God pulls through. God does exactly what he's going to do. He does some amazing thing. He sends these plagues to Egypt. Uh, he sends the, the, death, or the angel of death over there to, to give us uh, the, the model for Passover. It, it's, it's amazing. Go back and read that sometime if you haven't. Right? Now these people are free. Pharaoh says, yeah, just, just get out of here. I don't want you here anymore. And the people, they're, they're getting out of Egypt. They're leaving it in the rearview mirror. These people are finally free for the first time in 400 years. And Moses, this is amazing. He's not even afraid anymore like he used to be. Check this out. Hebrews eleven, twenty-seven. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid. This is a different Moses. One who isn't any longer a coward because it says he's not afraid of the king's anger, right? He finally placed his faith in what God could do instead of worrying about what he could or couldn't do. And man, that's a good thing he's no longer afraid because what happens next is the king and his army of Egypt, they come, they're hunting for Israelites at this point. Right? They're free for now, but Pharaoh wants them back, dead or alive. He does not care. And now these guys are stuck. They're stuck between Pharaoh's army who is starting to come in hot and this body of water standing before them that we know as the Red Sea. But Moses here, he takes a page out of God's book. Right? He gives them this epic speech to say, hey, don't panic, don't be afraid. I know they're coming. I know we seem stuck here. Moses tells them this in Exodus 14. He says, don't be afraid. Stand firm. And see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you're never going to see them again. And here's one of my favorite parts, verse 14. The Lord will fight for you, and you must be quiet. 
Other versions right there will say, and you must be still, right? Be still, trust God. Psalm 46 tells us to be still and know that I am God, right? He brought you this far. He sent these plagues to Egypt. He kept all of his promises. Why are you freaking out now? He's not about to abandon you or forsake you. That's not who he is. And this portion in Exodus is easily one of my favorite pieces of history. I, I liked it so much, I got it tattooed on my arm here. And it shows us for another reason why Moses is now included in the hall of faith. Because when Moses is trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army that's coming in hot, and he's got all these people just begging him to, oh, turn around, oh, surrender. It's so much better if we just go back and eat slop and be slaves for the rest of our lives. At least we're living. And I, I wouldn't call that living personally. But this is where Moses, he puts his faith into action. Right? And I'm sure most of you are familiar with this story, but this is where God does the impossible for Moses and the Israelites. God parts the waters for them. He parts that Red Sea. And by faith, they cross the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. Sounds like they didn't even get mud in their sandals. That's how dry it was. And when the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. So God takes this Red Sea and he splits it in two. He puts this giant wall of water on the left. He puts a giant wall of water on the right. And they just walk through on this dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to cross through, right, they want to catch and kill these Israelites. God caused those waters to come down and collapse on Pharaoh and his army. And so now what happens is the Israelites, they're on the other side of the Red Sea. Right, This thing that was standing before them, this thing that was impossible to conquer, they're standing on the other side of it, and they are free as could be. So this morning, let me wrap this up. And we're going to find out why is Moses mentioned as a, as a hero in Hebrews 11. And what can we learn from his story, and what can we take to apply it to our lives? Well, just like all the others mentioned here in Hebrews 11, Moses, he had a past. He had a past. He was a fraud, a murderer, a coward. He had a speech impediment. Right? He was unqualified in the eyes of the world, but all that changed, and none of that mattered in him anymore once he placed his faith in Jesus and started walking towards God instead of trying to walk away from him. Right? He put his faith in the God of the Bible that we're talking about. When he finally trusted that God was indeed the great I am, just like he said, everything changed. Everything changed. He would never be the same again. Right? He became qualified now to lead God's people through these impossible situations, out of Egypt, out of slavery, past the Red Sea, right through it. He's now also qualified to be the author of the first five books of the Bible, which is a great history lesson of our faith. But in the chaos forever known in the history books as the year 2020, right, do you know that you also do not have to go at this alone? Right, do you know that God is with you through all these in the midst of the chaos that God is right there? That he can make a way for you despite your lack of qualifications? Right, if he's the great I am, he is everything that we need. And he has been making a way for messy, broken, and unqualified people since the beginning of time. And guess what? He hasn't stopped. He's still doing that today. And some of you may be thinking, man, you, you have no idea what I'm going through, though. What, what I'm facing right now is impossible. 
I'm here to tell you that I, I know that feeling all too well. I know a lot of us do. You're not alone in that. But what I really want you to know is what Jesus said in Matthew 19 to his people. From the mouth of God himself, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Right? Moses believed that to be true. He acted upon that. But on the flip side, let's think of it this way. What if Moses didn't act on his faith? Right? What if he had that dead faith that James talks about? There would be no more Moses and no more Israelites, that's for sure. But Moses did act on his faith. Right? Moses did act on that faith. He believed God at the burning bush. He believed that God would certainly be with him everywhere. And then what did he do? He, he turned around, he sat down in the sand and did nothing. No, what a boring story. Moses showed up. Moses showed up. And, and like Moses, right, he had all these excuses, but just like Moses, we also, we need to stop feeling sorry for ourselves. We need to stop being trapped in our past mistakes and start walking towards God. We need to stop arguing with God. Stop telling him no. Stop telling God that, hey, guess what? My way is better than your way, God. We need to stop telling God that he made a mistake in picking you because he didn't. God didn't make a mistake. God can, and more importantly, God wants to use you. He wants to use, you guessed it, unqualified, messy, and broken people to do big things for his glory and for our good. But we have to show up. We have to put our faith into him. We have to say, God, guess what? I'm here now. I've lived this past. That's who I was. I no longer want to live for myself. Here I am, Lord, send me. I'm the one who wants to be a part of that. God wants to do that, but we have to show up and do our part. Right? It, it can't work to just pray for God to move in your life and then you just sit on the couch doing nothing about it. Right? You can't pray for God to fix something in your life and then just sit around just eating chips and watching Netflix all day. Right? We got to show up. Do you want your marriage to work better? Then show up. Talk to each other. Take responsibility for your part. Right? Be open and real with each other about where you're at in life. And then remember that when you're putting your faith in God, that he is with you. He will be with you. He will go with you. God is in the business of wanting to heal marriages. But you got to show up and you got to do your part. you got to own up to your mistakes and start moving forward. And on the flip side, we talked about this a little bit this morning, but you can't just pray for God to drop that special someone off at your doorstep, but at the same time say isolated and closed off from everyone. No, it's, this is faith in action. You got to show up. You got to step out in faith. Put the time in. Meet the right people. And never forget that God is going to be going with you. And maybe, maybe you have some rifts in your family right now, and you're just, well, I'll just pray, and, and God will take care of it. Yeah, he can. But God wants to use you. you got to show up. Talk to these people. Share Jesus with them. Love these people. Come back around. Right? Maybe you want to be used in ministry someday. Don't just pray and then do nothing about it. You know, put your feet in the water and start moving because God wants to go with you. God wants more ministry. I'll tell you that. He wants his gospel to be heard all over the world. And so wherever you're at today, remember that God wants to go with you, and he will go with you. 
But you got to show up. you you got to be ready to do it his way instead of trying to white-knuckle it and do it your own way because it doesn't work. A living testimony of that. So today as we remember all that, I, I just want to close by remembering some of the words of Moses here from Exodus 14. He said to the people, hey, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. The Lord will fight for you, and you just must be quiet. You just got to be still and trust him. So today, this week, that's the faith and action that we want to start applying to our lives, isn't it? Right? We want to face the impossible with God. We want to show up. We want to take that step out in faith. And as you do that, please know and never forget that God is going with you, and he will certainly be with you just like he was with Moses. Let's pray. Lord, today we are so thankful that that truth is one that has never gone away. God, that you are certainly with us. Lord, I pray that if, if people don't know you, if they're watching this or if they're listening today and they don't know you, they don't trust that you will go with them if they put their life and their faith in your hands. God, I pray that you would show them the truth that you do show up, that you do go with them, that you are the God of the impossible. Because God, yeah, it's cool that you can talk through a burning bush and split a Red Sea in half, but what's even greater is that you can take a human heart and turn it around to be used for your good and for your glory. God, I pray that we would remember that you are still in the business of using broken, messy, and unqualified people to do big things for your glory and for our good when we put our faith in you. God, I ask that our faith would be on fire, that our faith would actually be put in action, that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus himself. And Lord, I'm reminded of, of your words in Matthew as you're washing your disciples' feet, where you said that the Son of Man came to serve and not be served. Lord, thank you for setting an example for us, a model for us so that we can love people that we can point them to your love, that agape, unconditional love that you provide. Lord, as we sing this last song, I pray that we would remember to stand firm, that we would stand in your love, that we would understand what you're saying by that. Because God, there is no fear when we stand with you. Help us to know that. Help us to believe that. And Lord, help us to live that. We ask all this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to that message from Journey Church. Be sure to stop by our website, journeychurchgillette.com and check out past sermons and learn how to get plugged in with us. Also, if you would like to give to Journey to help us continue doing ministry in ways like this, just hit the give button on our website to support us on this mission. Hey, I hope that you have a great day and may God bless you.